Amen. Thank you, men. And uh, have you ever been, have you been redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ? The Bible says without Jesus' blood being shed, him dying on that cross, there would be no forgiveness for sin. And uh, many, many, many of us in this room this morning, we have been forgiven of our sin uh, because Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. We love him because he first loved us. And Missions Emphasis Month is really a highlight of the commission that Christ has given to us to take what we have received, his love, the truth, salvation that we have received, and take it to other people who have not heard it. And uh, we have a very special guest with us today, Evangelist Micah Self. He taught and preached in the Sunday School Hour. He's going to be uh, showing a video here coming up shortly, and then uh, I think he has some pictures he wants to share with us, and he's going to preach to us this morning. Uh, be back with us tonight at 6 o'clock. He's going to preach again, and uh, uh, he'll be a blessing to your heart. So I, I trust your heart's open to the Word of God as he comes and preaches to us. Well, good morning. I am very happy to be here with you all. Uh, I kind of lied because I said good morning, and I'm not a morning person. So I should have just said morning. Uh, how many of you are morning people? Raise your hand. See all the morning people like, yep. How many of you are not morning people? Raise your hand. Oh, they were just as fast. Yep, not me either. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm glad you're here either way. Uh, I will do my best to keep you awake. And uh, if you fall asleep, I have to preach longer because you miss something. So if you stay awake, I won't preach as long. All right. But I think you'll certainly find this interesting. Hopefully this will work. You know how you get everything working before church and then church starts and everything stops working. So we'll see what happens. But God has let me travel in evangelism for over seven years now. I started traveling with a Barnabas team at West Coast Baptist College. We would go to smaller churches around California and help them with outreach. And then I traveled for neighborhood Bible time. And uh, that was for two months here in the United States. And then Brother Dave Young for the past five years. So we'll see if it reaches. I may have to give you guys a secret signal to go to the next one. All right. Let's try this one more time. All right. I'll just point at you, and you can click over on the arrow button. There we go. So I've been blessed to preach to children all over the world, and you have to love preaching to kids because they're so innocent. Whenever I ask kids something like, how many of you have ever been in trouble before? One time this little girl was like, I get spankings all the time. And I knew who her dad was. <laughs> You know, so you love the honesty of children, and that's one of the reasons that children are quick to get saved, because they're willing to admit, yes, I've done bad things, yes, I'm a sinner, yes, I want to be forgiven, because that's what the gospel is about, is about forgiveness. It's not something you earn, it's that gift of forgiveness, and today you can be forgiven if you will admit you're a sinner. That's why Jesus came, is to forgive you. So how many of you would admit that you've made mistakes, you're a sinner, would you raise your hand? Right? Sometimes people are slow. Kids are never slow. Like, yep, I had this one kid say two weeks ago, I'm really bad at being good and really good at being bad. So, <laughs> you just you got to love the innocence of children. You can go to the next one. This is a uh, youth activity that I do throughout the U.S. called the Danger Games. You can see the little silver things that they're holding in their hands there. When that red light turns green, if you don't press the button fast enough, you get a little electrical shock. And then that young man holding the balloons under his arms and between his legs, those are about to be shot out with a staple gun. 
Teenagers love to come and watch that. Been doing that for five years, and only two teens have died. So I say that's a pretty good record. <laughs> and uh, you go to the next one. Malawi is one of the smallest countries in Africa. It's in southeastern Africa. The picture there is Lake Malawi. There are uh, certain species of fish. They look like coral fish, very colorful, but they are only found in this lake, nowhere else in the world. And occasionally, uh, working for the Lord, you get to take a day trip, and I got to go snorkeling with those fish, so that was pretty cool. You can go to the next one. I'll never forget this church building. I just remember we were driving out into what they call the bush in the lower Shiri. And we're driving and we're driving. You can see in the smaller pictures on the side, we're just driving on this dirt road into what looks like nothingness. And then all of a sudden we turn into the field and we're driving through this grass. And all of a sudden we hit what's in that bigger picture, which is the church building. Uh, It was only about this tall, so I kind of had to crouch down inside of it. This is, I think, my second day in Malawi a few years ago, and I remember this is the first time I've seen how they worship. And uh, this is a very, very, very primitive area, and uh, they were singing a song called Hallelujah. And the words were very complicated. It went like this, Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. And and that was the whole song. And I was like, hey, I know this one because I know that word. And so... They would, they can't, they cannot sing. They cannot sing in Malawi without clapping and moving. It's impossible. Uh, The Holy Spirit would probably just leave the country if they tried. And so I remember in this small church, there's a a group of women and they're just hallelujah. And they tie their babies on the back. So the babies, and the louder the the music gets, the babies are back there like bobbleheads. And, And I'm thinking, never shake a baby. Haven't you seen the commercial? And the truth is they haven't seen the commercial because where I am located, there are no televisions, there is no electricity, there is no running water. And so if they, perchance, get lucky enough to get an old cell phone that may not even work, they have to take a car ride into town just to charge it. So we're out here in the middle of nowhere, and I just remember this woman dancing, and she's leading the singing, and she just looks fierce. She's not that big of a woman, but she just, she's strong. The women in Malawi, probably like much of Africa, as Brother Schultz would know, the women do a lot of the hard work. You'll see small ladies in their 60s carrying 60 to 80 pound piles of wood on their head up hills. It's incredible. I I couldn't do it. And I'm just, so there's this lady and she's clapping and singing and she just has this look of fierceness in her eyes and she's the one in charge she's the loudest and she's telling everybody to sit down and what to sing and when to sing and I'm looking in this lady's eyes and I'm like she's old but she could probably kill me and I remember the missionary gets up and he starts preaching and and he is he is one of those hard preachers as uh, my friend from Georgia would say blood and guts our hellfire and brimstone, and he is giving it to them. And he's this, he's this big man, and he's speaking in English, and the translator's speaking in Chichewin, and he's just going at it, and he's telling them about the depths of their sin, which they need to hear. One of the reasons that, not the only reason, but one of the reasons that poverty is perpetuated in this part of the world is uh, the lack of family unit. Um, the kids aren't educated because the parents don't care for them. They don't go to school They're not properly 
uh, fed or clothed. It's kind of like every man for himself. And the lack of family strength perpetuates the poverty in this country. And what can change that is the word of God and the love of Christ. But he starts preaching hard against the sin and, and the drunkenness and all of the wickedness in that part of the world. And this woman's eyes go from fierceness to fear. Because in Malawan culture, they have a mixture of animism, which is kind of ancestor spirit worship and Christianity. Because when the British were there, they brought the influence of Anglicanism in, but they didn't leave the gospel very clear. And so most of these people in Malawi believe that there's, it's almost like deism. There's a God out there who kind of like spun the universe into existence and then he doesn't really care. He made everything and then he let the spirits take over. And so much of what they do is they'll say, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, Jesus, he's the son of God. Yes, we love Jesus. But they've never heard the gospel that Christ died for their sins and was buried and rose from the dead. So they will sometimes go to church and alleluia, sing songs about Jesus and kicking out the devil and fighting the devil. And then by night they'll go to the witch doctor because he can actually help them. And so this woman has been involved in witchcraft, all kinds of immorality, and this missionary is preaching hard. And she needed to hear it. She needed to hear that the sin is against God. And I remember seeing fierceness than fear. And the missionary didn't even finish his message. It's my second day. I've been traveling. I'm exhausted. And he just stops. And he goes, Micah, it's your turn. And sits down. And I'm like, what? And so I got up. And it's not hard to preach the gospel. Paul called it the simplicity in Christ. So they already knew they were sinners. Now it's just my turn to offer them the gift of forgiveness. And I got to go to John 3.16 and preach that God so loved the world. This is a concept they don't understand. God is out there somewhere. He doesn't love the world. He just turned it over to the spirits. No, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes on Him will not perish and have everlasting life. And I got to teach them about the sufferings of Jesus. And I saw in their faces the anguish as I told them about the Son of God who was whipped who was stripped down and spit on and punched in the face, who was mocked and nailed to a cross and bled and died for them. And I saw in their faces the anguish of the sufferings of Christ. And I shared with them that there's hope because He rose from the dead. And because He rose from the dead, we can have assurance that we too will be raised to have eternal life. And I saw in this woman's face hope. And when that translator gave the invitation, who will stand and profess faith in Christ? She was the first one to stand up. And I saw fierceness and fear. And then when I looked into this woman's eyes, I saw peace. And I remember thinking, this gospel has the power to change people's lives. So I will never forget that little church. You can go to the next one. Uh, when you can't really see this, it's a, it's a dark picture, but the children are very interested in light-skinned people. They don't see a lot of light-skinned people, and the word in Chechewin for white man is Mzungu. Well, I didn't know that. So all these kids come running, Mzungu, Mzungu, and I'm like, where? And I'm looking around for the Mzungu, and the missionary is like, that would be you. <laughs> so they would come and, and just, just stare at us. I felt like an animal in the zoo, to be honest. But as you'll see in the next picture, um, oh, video, this is the typical worship style. We'll have missionary Schultz and pastor do this special for us tonight. So be sure to come back. And that's, that's how they worship. They have to clap. They have to move. Nothing sensual, but very involved. And you can go to the next one.
because of my skin color, everybody wants to see and look and watch. So we would go to small villages. We would drive an hour, maybe two or three hours. I would stand up on a chair and just do silly finger tricks, and they all come to see the weird Mzungu, and then I would preach the gospel. And people would stay, and they would listen. And, and for many of these people, they've heard the name of Jesus, but for the first time in their entire life, they are being told the truth about who Jesus really is. The truth. I posted this on Facebook a few years ago so my family could see. And my grandmother from Indiana, my mamma, she posted it on her wall and said, my grandson is the one standing on the chair. And somebody commented, no kidding, I was wondering where he was. <laughs> so, you just, you feel, I feel very out of place. Um, I would just be walking down the road, everybody stares. I got in what's called a minibus. They'll cram 18 people in this, you know, 10-seat bus, and you got bamboo and sacks of rice and chickens. And from behind me, there's this little old lady, and he's pushing her hand in between the seats and poking me to see if I'm a ghost. <laughs> And uh, I'll have my arm out the window and kids will walk by and just be like, poke, 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 poke to see if I'm real. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting experience, to say the least. You can go to the next one, teaching them what the Bible is. They don't know what the Bible is, why it's important. They know that it's a special book, but they don't live by it. They live more by tradition. So to convince them that they should obey the Word of God over their tribal traditions is uh, one of the most difficult tasks. So you can go to the next one. As you can see, they gave the invitation, and, and everyone wants to be forgiven of their sins. They've never heard that before. Some of the men are harder because they see religion as a woman's thing. So the women are typically more open. But in some of the services, God broke through to the men as well. You can go to the next one there. Uh, this is something that just shocked me. After I had finished preaching to that group, I looked, and you can see that, that tiny shack that looks like it's about to fall over. And that's a $50,000 Coca-Cola truck. And the cost of a Coke there is sometimes half a day's wage for some of those people. And I thought, how is it that Coca-Cola can get people, excuse my, my language, but a diabetes-causing liquid, but Christianity has not yet clearly presented to them the gospel? Coca-Cola is everywhere around the world. But there are people who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I wonder if there isn't someone here today who would be willing to follow Jesus Christ to the ends of the world. A lot of times we like that message being preached to the young people. Yeah, tell those kids they need to serve Jesus. But as I'm going to preach in a little bit, if you remember, Jesus didn't call young people to forsake all and follow him. He called men and women with houses and lands and jobs to forsake it and follow him that the world may know the love of Christ. And oftentimes we want young people, we need more young people to serve Jesus, but Jesus came and he called the comfortable to sacrifice and follow him. And if Coca-Cola can get out the message and we really believe heaven is real and we really believe souls are going to go to heaven or hell, how could we do any less than this company? All right, you can go to the next one. Uh, the children there are not cared for very well. The main reason for marriage goes something like this. Okay, who was the last guy? Okay, go to the chief. Here's a chicken. You're married. Well, he doesn't really feel like he has an obligation. 
So the woman's going to work hard. She's going to labor. She's going to not even be able to always watch the child because she's, she's working. And they need the love of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ to change them. The United States pours millions of dollars into this country for education, and oftentimes the governments are stealing it for their kids to build houses and go on vacations. And the kids that need the money to get the education, it's not even getting there. So what is the hope? The hope is men and women who love God, sacrificing so that they can know what we know. If you remember, the Bible says about Jesus, for your sakes he became poor, that ye, through his poverty, might be made rich. I'm humbled by the love of God that he would leave to come down, that we could know, that we could be forgiven. All right, you can go to the next one. Again, just the weird Mzungu standing on a chair doing tricks. This, there was a crowd of over 300 people that came here. You can go to the next one. These uh, men will ride on bikes hundreds of miles a year. They'll go into a village. They'll put on skits because there's no TV. So two men doing a skit or a play is absolutely wonderful entertainment. And people will come just to see two men do a skit. They don't need much to entertain them because they don't have TV or internet. And so one of these guys had a sock puppet, you know, just a sock with some buttons sewed on it. And many of the kids had never seen that before. So he walks up to a group of kids and pulls it out and goes, Muribuanji, which is, you know, how are you? And this little kid's like, what is that? And he jumps off and takes off down the road. Like, that thing's not getting me. And he never came back. He was so scared. And so it's just, it's just, it's just, it's funny and wonderful. All the rest of the kids stayed, but that kid just, I just remember he put his head back and he ran down the street. He never showed up again. So you can go to the next one. That's about an hour hike, hour and a half, depending on how good a shape you're in. And that's the church building, just that grass hut. I got to preach there and we had a, a couple people receive Christ. And I've been back a couple times since this first trip. You can go to the next one. Um, again, one of these things you'll never forget. We're driving back to the airport, and these two boys come running out of the field. They just come, you know, tearing across this field, and they're holding these shish kebabs. And I'm like, what, what, is, what is that? What are they holding? And the missionary says, are you sure you really want to see? And I'm like, I've seen a lot. I, I want to experience everything. And so those are mouse kebabs. Uh, these boys will have to dig in the field and dig up field mice, and they'll boil them. They're boiled. And if these boys cannot sell these, that's their dinner. And uh, a lot of times I'll, I'll show this to kids, and they'll go, ew, that's gross. And I'm like, yes, but those kids are not gross. We shouldn't go, ew, we should go, oh, I've never had to eat that. I mean, we can at least get a, a cheeseburger for a dollar. Some people wouldn't say it's much better than that for you, but how thankful are you? How thankful are you? Have you ever noticed that you don't have to get up in the morning and write out a list of five things to complain about? You never wake up and think, you know what, I'm going to look, what, what are five things I want to complain about today? It just kind of comes out of you. But you have to be thankful on purpose. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And you know what I found? Is the more thankful you are, the happier you are. If you want to ruin your own happiness, be covetous, be unthankful, and live for things that don't matter. There's a famous evangelist, uh, Ravi Zacharias. If 
if you don't like him, I'm sorry. I don't worship him, but I listen to some of his stuff. He's from India. And he says, atheists often speak against God because of the problem of pain. If there is a God, why is there suffering in the world? Now, the truth is, the world could be better, and that's up to us. So God has made the world full of good, and we're the ones who ruin it. So pain is not God's fault, because we all, if we lived a little better, could make the world a better place. But he said, what I don't understand is if there is no God, what about the problem of pleasure? He says, people ask me, what do you mean? What do you mean the the problem of pleasure? And he said, in America, we are, without a doubt, the top 5% of the world's wealth. You may be the poorest person in this church, but you are still richer than most people in the world. And he said, how is it that in the most wealthy nation that has ever existed, people can be unhappy? We have pleasure. We have houses. We have air conditioning. We have televisions. We have cars. We have all the food we could, we could ever want. We could numb our minds with internet. We have phones that are better than the computers 40 years ago. We have blessings that are unimagined. We are living in an age of sci-fi compared to just 60 years ago, and yet we can find a way to be unhappy. He said the greatest conundrum of the world is not the problem of pain, but the problem of pleasure, that we can have so much pleasure and so much and still be unhappy. He said, what does that prove? It proves that if you have everything this world can offer and you're still not satisfied, you must have been created for something higher. You were created for a relationship with God. You were created for spiritual connection. You were created for spiritual purposes. I was talking with my brother the other day and I said, Luke, how is it that that Eve sinned in the garden? How is it that she sinned? She didn't have a sin nature. There was no evil in her. That doesn't make sense to me. Why on earth would would she choose that? And he said, Micah, here's what I think. She was created good, complete, but she was not complete without God. She had everything she needed physically, but spiritually, she had to walk with God every day. And on that day, she decided that the knowledge that she could get would complete her more than her relationship with God. And every time we sin, we're choosing to believe that that sin will fulfill what we want or need more than a relationship with God. It's like, that makes a lot of sense. He's my younger brother and he taught me something. How about that, huh? You can go to the next one. The Philippines, millions and millions of people crammed on a tiny island. God has let me go here several times. You can go to the next one. Because of the troubled youth, the alcohol and drugs and and pregnancy rate is so high amongst the youth in the Philippines that they have implemented values classes in the public school. Morality classes to try and help these kids understand right and wrong and consequences of their actions. And because Most of the Philippines love America. Um, This was six years ago now. They let me walk into the school with with a buddy of mine about the same age as I was at the time. And they let us teach over 2,000 students, 50 at a time, in their classrooms twice. We got to go into the public school, go into a classroom of 50 students, and teach them twice to over 2,000 students. And... This is all to the glory of God. But before I went here, this was my first time leaving the country, and I begged God 
I, I, I wrote this in my, my prayer journal, and I begged God that he would let us see on this trip 1,000 people make professions of faith. And in between this public school and some of the basketball courts we went to and played, we had them take surveys, and we had them write it out, because we didn't just want people to raise their hand. We wanted to know that people really understood the gospel. And at the end of these seven weeks, my friend and I compared all the notes and the people we had been able to see saved And in seven weeks, God let us see 1,000 young people trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. And I thought of what Jesus said, that the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Jesus said it is easier for a camel to enter the eye of a needle than for a rich man in the kingdom of heaven. And it is very difficult to lead Americans to Christ. It's not impossible because it's happening. Amen? People are being saved. You've had people baptized and saved in your church. So God's hand is not short that he cannot save. But I wonder if somebody here tonight has such a fire in their heart to see people saved that they wouldn't say, God, I'll go live slightly less comfortable to reap the harvest for your glory. Because I'm telling you, in the country of the Philippines, in Africa, not all places, but many places, they are coming to Christ and they just need people to give the gospel and invest and disciple them. We can go to the next one. Just another picture of all of the students uh, who we got to preach to. We can go to the next one. This is in a cemetery in Manila. I'll try and move quickly through these. I feel like I'm dragging a little bit here. In the middle of the city, there's a cemetery. And because it's a Catholic country, they pour more money into dead people than living people sometimes. So when somebody wealthy or influential dies, they'll build a mausoleum. They'll put their casket in a big concrete case. And many of the people in the city of Manila are so poor that living in a mausoleum, sleeping on top of somebody's concrete tomb is a better house than the little tin roof shack that could get blown over or rain could pour through. And so there is an entire village of people living in a cemetery. They have shops. I saw the children climbing on the tombstones. Uh, The missionary and I have seen um, children scooping water out of the ground to drink it because there's no running water. There's, There's no electricity in this cemetery. And a Filipino man, who I believe could have had a good job as an IT technician, saw the children that they were being used to traffic drugs, children, because they're just free. And, and the girls were being uh, abused, and so he decided to give up his job in his own country and give his life to tell these boys and girls about the gospel and to educate them. Brother Dave and I have helped raise money to, to buy a Becca books for these kids so that they can be educated, so they don't have to be trafficked, so they can get a job, so they can hopefully go to school someday. We have it so good in America. And I don't want to guilt anybody because if you leave here feeling guilty, that would never be my goal. But I want to inspire my brothers and sisters in Christ to do something more with their lives. We glory in boats. We glory in expensive cars. We glory in nice houses. We glory in all of these things that are all going to burn and fall apart. But can I tell you something? To give up Something so that kids can have an education, that is something to glory in. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And all I'm simply saying today is this. Would you, as you come towards this giving time for your church, would you hold everything with open hands and say, God, it's all yours. 
all of my money, all of my life, all of my time, all of my dreams, all of my plans. God, if you really save me and there's a real heaven where I'm going to go forever, God, it's all yours. Would you hold your life and your plans and your future with open hands for God today? Would you open them up? And so this is a video of these kids singing, I'm in the Lord's army. And you're going to see kids that don't have a cell phone, that have one pair of clothes with holes in it, that don't have access to school or clean water, and they're going to sing as happily as any child in America. You can go ahead and and hit that. you what, I have a lot more respect for a man who gives his life to love those kids than some guy who can throw a football 60 yards. And I'm a Denver Broncos fan. Sorry about your lines. I enjoy sports. I do. I'm not against it. But we put people on a pedestal and we worship people and we wear their clothes. You know, for example, I've seen little girls wearing t-shirts of um, Monroe, the, the, the actor lady, Marilyn, Marilyn Monroe. Little girl's wearing t-shirts like she's some person they should all... How many of you would want your little girl to grow up and leave a husband who loves her to become famous and to die of a drug overdose? And I don't hate her. I'm not against her. But what is wrong with our country? Why would we teach our little girls to be like someone who who grew up abused, had a husband who loved her, left him because she wanted to be famous... Broken, broken marriages all throughout, drug addiction, and then died. How is that the idyllic life for anyone, much less little girls wearing these, these shirts in our country? And there are people who have given up their lives. There's a young lady named Katie who went to Africa at 19 years old and gave her life to take care of orphans. She's taking care of dozens of children. Nobody knows about her in our country. But we idolize wealth and fame and sports, and and money. And as Christians, what are we doing? What are we doing? Jesus said, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moss and rust, and moss, where moss, I can't even speak, sorry, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. There's a story of a man in Texas who, who struck oil, and he, he had the pastor over after he built his house and everything, and the pastor was sitting there at his, at his long table, and uh, the man started bragging. He said, you know what, pastor, 10 years ago I didn't have nothing. Now I'm one of the richest men in Texas. He said, you look out that window at all that grain, it's all mine. He said, you see out that window, all that cattle, as far as you can see, it's all mine. He said, you look out here, you see those fields, as far as you can see, those fields are all mine. If you go out on the back porch and walk through the forest, as far as you can walk, it's all mine, all around. And the story goes like this. The pastor walked up to him and put his hand on his shoulder and said, that's great. But how much do you have in that direction? And if it's true that there's a real heaven waiting for us and there's really joy that we can have there that we can't have here, wouldn't it make sense to give more now to get more later? Wouldn't that like logically just make sense? I heard a preacher one time say, why does everyone want to go to heaven? Everybody wants to go to heaven. There's no TV in heaven. 
There's no hot rods in heaven. There's no boats in heaven. And I'm not saying all these things are evil, but the Bible says in 1 John 2, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. So here's the thing. I'm not against those things, but many times those are the things that drive us and motivate us and that we're living for. And the Bible says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Because if you love the world, God's love cannot be coming through you. Because if your love is consumed with things and video games and televisions and all of the stuff that doesn't matter and new and bigger and better, then how can God's love flow through you for people like this who you could have an eternal impact just by giving a little more, maybe by giving your life, maybe by going on a missions trip to build an orphanage, to visit and encourage a missionary. If you could give a little more, wouldn't it make sense if it increases your joy in heaven? We can go to the next one. Uh, Moldova is a small country in Eastern Europe, the poorest country there. I was able to speak at a youth camp. We'll go through these quickly. You can go to the next one. That boy in the middle with the cool hairdo, his parents raised him to be an atheist. He spends hours on the Internet studying atheist arguments. I, he's very smart, speaks three or four languages. I spent a lot of time with him. And he could tell I was so burdened that he would get saved. He'd say, listen, don't worry. What you're saying makes sense. I don't think my parents would want me to get saved, but don't worry. I, I might get saved someday. And this little boy is trying to encourage me about his own soul. You can go to the next one. You can keep going. You can see this is the invitation. Just flooded forward, emptied the seats for the gospel. You can go to the next one. Uh, these young men were called to preach. You can keep going. The harvest is plenteous. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a video. But before I do, let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Luke. Chapter number... 14, Luke 14. Sometimes Jesus said things that were very shocking. Jesus said things that didn't make sense and that offended people. Jesus probably would have been just as persecuted today as he was back then. We live in an age where free speech is being censored, where hurting people's feelings is the greatest crime that there is. And I can tell you, Jesus was offending everybody. Jesus offended the religious people. Jesus offended the non-religious people. If Jesus was alive today, he would be, in spite of all of his miracles, because of his teachings, Jesus would be just as hated now as he was then. I guarantee it. And it's funny, many times as Christians, we take the whole Bible literally... And then we get to certain passages, and we're not sure we want to take them as literally. Forsake all that ye have and follow me. Well, he doesn't really mean that. And sometimes we we want to stand on our literalist interpretation, but when it gets to something that might require us to sacrifice a little too much, we don't like that as much. Now, the first verse that we're going to look at here is absolutely hyperbole. But the sacrifice he's calling us to is a very literal sacrifice. So look with me at Luke 14 and verse number 25. And there went great multitudes with him, Jesus, and he turned and said unto him, so Jesus has a big following. And Jesus turned and said to all these people, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. 
And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest happily, after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Look at verse number 33. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now we need to make a clear distinction here between discipleship and salvation. We are not saved because we gave our lives to Christ. We are saved because Christ gave His life for us. And so what Jesus is teaching here is if you want more than to see some miracles and get some free bread and some healings, if you want to really be my disciple, you have to be willing to forsake it all. What is a disciple? A disciple is someone who patterns themselves after another person. So, for example, when I was young... I was five years old. I was a very, very wild, crazy young man. I was pretty weird, to be honest. Maybe you could already guess that. And my mom asked me at five years old, Micah, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, Bugs Bunny. It was two years later, and we were driving somewhere, and I remember her asking me again, who do you want to be when you grow up? And I had been inspired by someone much more inspirational than Bugs Bunny. She said, who do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, Batman. And then I remember as I got older, I had a youth pastor who came into my life. He was six foot two, 230 pounds of muscle, great soccer player, and I wanted to be just like him. Fortunately, it didn't work out quite that well. But I also had a favorite soccer player. At that time, my family was very much into sports, and I had a favorite soccer player, David Beckham. I didn't know much about his personal life. I just thought he was a good player. And so what did I do? I wore the clothes that he wore. I did my hair like him to point up to heaven. I did all of these things. I practiced. I would go outside and for hours I would practice bending the ball. I'd practice juggling, trapping the ball. I would practice my foot foot skills because I wanted to be like Beckham. Another main person in my generation was everyone wanted to be like Mike. Right? So I got the four DVD set of 24 hours of Michael Jordan highlights and I watched it. And I thought, yeah, that's never going to happen. <laughs> but everyone wanted to be like Mike, his jersey. Even people who didn't like the Bulls, everybody wanted to be like Mike. That is being a disciple. To pattern yourself. To, to put this person as your pedestal and to follow them and be like them and to idolize them. And Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, if you really want to be a true follower of mine, not just okay, I got saved, I'll do what I have to do, then he said you have to be willing to forsake all that you have. When I was in Malawi, the missionary doesn't get to talk to a lot of people in English. He has the men that help him, but he's surrounded by people from other cultures. And so when an American comes, he just pours out his heart and he talks with them. And I remember one day we were sitting around and and he said, you know what, my guy... I'm slowing down. My my feet hurt. My back hurts. It hurts to drive down the road. 
He said, and I miss my family. He said, I have grandkids, and, and I go back to America, and they don't even recognize me. He said, but I know that God has called me here, and I'm going to stay. He said, but Micah, I miss my family. I don't get to see my kids. I don't get to see my grandkids grow up. And my grandkids ask me, where are, where are you? Where are you, Poppy? And I thought of this verse. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters and his own life also... Does that man hate his grandkids? No. But the love that he has for Christ supersedes the love that he has for the here and now. And he loves his grandkids and he calls them when he can and he writes them and he spends time with them. But he has such a deep love for Christ that many people would say what he is doing is wrong. But Jesus said, if you hate not, father, mother, brother, sister, is this what Jesus means? Does Jesus mean that if we are to follow him, our love for him should be greater than our love for our family? Is that what Jesus is saying? Absolutely. Now we know that if we love God, we're going to love our neighbor as ourselves. Amen? So this isn't a cold-hearted call. But church family, we have made Christianity in America about do these good things so good things will happen in your life. And it discourages me because when I preach, oftentimes if I preach on something that, okay, do this and good things will happen, everybody wants to come forward. Don't do this or bad things will happen. Everyone comes forward. But when you preach on giving your life for Christ, when you preach on sins of pride and sins of the heart, the church sits still. Because we have a form of humanism in our churches. It's obey God so good things will happen to you. Obey God so bad things won't happen to you. And really, it's all about us and our own well-being. But Jesus said that if you do not deny yourself and take up your cross, you cannot be His disciple. And we have put humans at the center of Christianity. And God exists to bless us when we do good. But we are not living to worship Him and to worship Christ and to make the gospel known. The Christianity of America has become about us and what we can do and give so you can get and obey because it benefits you. But where are the Christians who say, my life is going to be about the gospel of Jesus Christ? No matter what it costs me. These are hard words, but this is what Jesus is saying. No one likes what I'm saying this morning. No one wants to live that kind of life. But if we're going to have the real Christianity, the kind that the world can look at and say, I know that's real, then this is where we need to be as families. Parents, would you let your kids go anywhere? I was talking to a lady once, and she knew her child wanted to go to the ministry, and she said, well, I couldn't let him go all the way to that school in California. That's too far. I said, but what if God calls him to the mission field? That's not going to happen. I thought, wow. Wow, our love for what we want has superseded our love for Jesus Christ. But remember what Jesus said. Jesus said that our Father knows when a sparrow falls to the ground, a little bird. Our Father knows how many hairs are on our head or not on our head. And He said if God knows that about you, He's going to take care of you. We should be willing to lay down our lives and everything about us because we have the love of the Father that will support and take care of us through every temptation and trial and struggle. Do you believe that God's love is enough 
to carry you through if you lay it all down to obey him. I was reading a story yesterday about a man by the name of uh, C.T. Studd. He grew up in Britain, and he was one of the most famous cricket players ever in the country of England. He had records, he was famous, he got to travel the world, and he had believed on Jesus Christ, but through the preaching of D.L. Moody and other famous evangelists, he decided to give it up and go. He left his career as a, a cricket player to go to China, and when he got kicked out of China because of the, the war there, he went to India. And when he got kicked out of India, he went to Africa. He lost his wife. His other wife was traveling to raise support for the cause of missions. And that man gave up everything he ever dreamed of for the cause of Christ. And many of us would say that's crazy, but that man believed what Jesus said. Whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. I believe this church today is filled with saved people who have believed on Jesus Christ. Again, you're not saved because you gave your life to Christ, but because he gave his life for you. The only way anyone gets to heaven is by believing on Jesus Christ who died for them. But to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, to be a true follower, you must be willing to lay down your life, all of it. God, everything about my life is yours. My dreams, my hopes, my plans, my finances, my family. God, it all belongs to you. Let's look at one more text and we'll be done. Matthew chapter number 9. In Matthew 9, in verse number 35, we see an attribute of Jesus that I hope as a church we will emulate. Because remember, if we are going to be disciples of Jesus, that means we pattern our thoughts and our lives and our beliefs after Him. So if Jesus is our discipler and we are disciples, then everything about us should be patterned after how Jesus thought and taught and felt. Uh, not the American version of but what Jesus said and taught and felt, we are to pattern our lives after this. And look with me at Matthew chapter number 9 and verse number 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Jesus did good works to draw people so he could teach them. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Do you remember the events of 9-11? How many of you remember those events? I will never forget that. I remember I got up on that Tuesday, and it was already a bad day because I had piano lessons that day. I remember waking up being like, oh, I have to go to piano lessons with Cruella DeVille, and she smacks my hands with a ruler. And I remember looking at the clock and thinking, whoa, I've missed my piano lessons, and all of a sudden it became a very good day. And I walked into my mom's room, and she had a television there, and I understood why we weren't going to piano that day. I remember watching as that first tower was on fire. 
and actually seeing the live footage of the second plane fly into the other one and, and the reporters thinking maybe the first one was a mistake but after the second knowing it was an attack. I remember feeling sick to my stomach. I remember just feeling shocked. I remember a few years later, Columbine was 30 minutes away from my house. And I remember as a, as a young man, the same age as many of those students, I remember hearing of them being shot and of a young lady getting shot through the leg and then through the back and then those two young men coming up to her and saying, do you still believe in Jesus? And she said, you know that I do. And they killed her. I remember the shock. I remember the tears. I remember the pain and the sorrow of our country. And this is the pain and the sorrow that Jesus has for the world. Jesus looked on the people that were scattered abroad, having no shepherd, and he didn't condemn them. He was moved with compassion. That word in the Greek means he was literally physically moved and touched, and he agonized over people who were without a shepherd. Jesus did not look at the homosexuals and condemn them. He looked at them and he wanted to save them. If you look at Corinthians, the Bible says, and such were some of you. I grew up believing they couldn't be saved, but that is not in the Bible. The blood of Jesus has the power to cover every sin. And Jesus is not looking at America saying, look at the homosexuals, look at the transgenders. I'm done with America. Jesus looks at our country and his heart breaks and he moves with compassion and he longs to save souls. But is this our attitude? I remember the shock and awe of 9-11, of Columbine. I remember the feelings of compassion. We all prayed. We all came to church. We all, God bless America. And what if we had that same zeal for souls who Jesus wants to save? What if we all looked at that young man walking down the street who looks so different from us, covered in tattoos, grungy clothes, piercings, and instead of going, oh, let's avoid him, we thought, hey, I'm glad that I have a track in the car. I'm going to go invite him to church. Instead of locking our cars when somebody suspicious walks by in Walmart, what if we got out and took a track and said, hey, has anyone ever told you that God loves you? The Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. What if instead of condemning America and judging America, we, like Abraham, went to God and said, would you spare us for ten righteous? We have this view of God that somehow we're favored because we go to church and we don't deserve judgment, but those people deserve judgment. But the truth is that we are all guilty before God and every mouth will be stopped. But being justified freely through His grace by the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And Paul said, Paul said, I am nothing but by the grace of God. By the grace of God, I am what I am. The only reason you're in church is because God reached out and touched you. Do you know what Jesus said in John 6? Jesus said, no man can come unto me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. That means you could not even have gotten saved if God had not touched your heart and shown you your sin. Now, I'm not teaching Calvinism because Jesus said, and I, if I be lifted up, will draw 
all men, but the truth is this, if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit coming down and touching you and showing you your sin and showing your need for Jesus, you could not have even believed because you wouldn't have even seen your need for God's forgiveness. You're not saved because of you and your faith. You're saved because of the grace of God that showed you your need for Jesus Christ. And that is what this world needs. This world does not need us to punch them in the face with their sin. It needs us to show them their sin and to pronounce the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. What was the last time you as a disciple of Jesus were moved with compassion to share the gospel? What was the last time you saw that scary-looking individual and you didn't even know what they were, and instead of being like you, you were like, I wonder what has been going on in their life. I should share with them the gospel. What was the last time you as a disciple of Jesus were moved with compassion to pray for the world? This is our call as Christians. For God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That word, pray, that God would send forth laborers, that word send forth literally means to thrust or to push. And I've begun praying in my prayer time, God, would you push people out of their comfort zone and in to the ministry. But you know what? If people won't go, I think what God's going to do is keep bringing them here. Now, I'm going to say something that's going to offend some people, but you have to have ears to hear what I'm about to say. And maybe I've said it before. Many Americans, many Christian Americans, are more emotionally involved in building a wall to keep people out than they are in getting the gospel out. I'm not saying anything for or against the wall. So if that's what you're thinking, you're not having ears to hear. What I am saying is that most Christians in the church are more emotionally involved in keeping certain types of people out than they are in getting the gospel out. And God forgive us for caring more about our own interests than the gospel of Jesus Christ. The disciples did not follow Jesus because they had it good. They died. Every disciple of Jesus, except for John, was martyred. They were boiled. They were, they were speared. They were crucified upside down. They didn't follow Jesus so they could have a good life and lots of blessings and they could raise their families in a happy environment. They followed Jesus because He was the way, the truth, and the life. But we mix a little Christianity in with the American dream. Instead of saying, I will deny myself and take up my cross and follow Jesus. What would it do for this church? What would it do for this church if some man who's been successful his whole life obeyed God's call and left it all to go in the ministry? What would that do for this church? What would it do for the youth if one young man or one young lady said, I'm not going to live for my dreams and my plans. I'm going to give my life and I'm going to do whatever God would have me to do. What would it do for America if the church that stands against sin also pronounces the forgiveness of a loving God?
Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Do you hold your life with open hands? Has your heart been touched with a brokenness and a compassion for the messed up youth of America? Or have you stood back and simply thrown names at them? You're right. Many of them are snowflakes. You're right. Safe spaces are silly. You're right. But we're not called to beat people up. We are called to bring them the great physician. Because they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. And we live in a sick world, in a sick society, and doctors don't beat people up. They give them the medicine they need to be healed. Will you let your heart be touched with the compassion of Jesus Christ?